How many here made it past 1201? Anyone at all? Wow. How many of you just called it a year before that? Anyone? I did both. I did both. I was, I made it past 12, but I really wasn't there. Are you following me on that? Like getting fluids and caffeine, but I made it because I'm still the party animal I've always been. We're going to continue through our walk of the book of Acts, and really it's rather fitting to starting a new year. You know, my wife always says to me, you never know what the new year brings, and, and she gets a little nostalgic and, and excited and nervous. If, uh, I think we all feel that way, but she's right. Truth of the matter is, this year is going to bring us to a lot of different places, some places that we're excited about, some that we're not. But in either case, God is in complete control, and there is a reason why we're there, and this passage is going to bear that out. So let's pick up in verse 26 of Acts chapter 21. Then Paul took the men, those four men, who were into their Nazarite vow. Now if you're new here, this is going to sound like wah, 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 wah. Who knows where that's from? You're old, all right? You are old. But I promise you, we'll unpack this, all right? So Paul took some men, and the very next day, they wanted to follow the law of Moses, so they were purified, he purified himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification, because Paul has been in Gentile nations, and as a Pharisee Jew that has been converted, if you leave the nation of Israel and you come back, you are considered unclean, and you have to purify yourself. And he went and gave sacrifices and offered for each one of those men. And he paid for those sacrifices as well. When the seven days were almost over, the yes, the, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up the crowd and laid hands on Paul, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid, our aid. There's, there's hundreds of them and one of Paul, come to our aid. This man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this holy place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple because they're unclean and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple courts where he didn't belong. Then they all cited, uh, the, the whole city was provoked and the people rushed together and they laid hands on Paul and they took hold of him and they dragged him out of the, the, the inner temple courts because you can't kill someone in church, right? You just kill him outside the wall. Then it's okay. You ever notice we dichotomize things like that? Well, they, they think he's blasphemed and brought evil. So they bring him out into the, out of the temple and they were provoked. They drag him, verse 33, and immediately um, the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came to the commander of the Roman army's cohort and all of Jerusalem was in confusion. And Rome cannot have disorder. At once they took along with them soldiers and centurions and ran down into the outer courts. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul because... Rome is rather strong. 
Then the commander came up and took hold of Paul and ordered him to be bound in chains and began asking who he was and what he had done. But some in the crowd were shouting one thing and others were shouting another. And when they could not find out the facts because it was so confusing in this uproar, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. And when they got to the stairs, he was being carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Ah, mob justice. How many are glad mob justice doesn't exist anymore? Amen? We're just so civilized. For the multitude of people kept following them, shouting, away with him. And when you see the words away with him, to death, get rid of him, kill him. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I, may I say something to you? How many here would say, I think I would be that polite. I think I would say, dear sir, I beg you for just a moment. He said, may I say something? He said, and the commander said, you know Greek? Because Paul spoke in Greek at that time. Then you are not the Egyptian that stirred up a revolt of thousands of men and assassins in the wilderness. Paul said, no, I'm not that guy. I'm a Jew from Tarsus of Sicily, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I beg you, allow me to speak to these people. When he had given him permission, Paul was standing on the stairs and he motioned to the people with his hands. And there was a great silence and hush. And he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect now. So he abandons Greek and he goes into Aramaic Hebrew dialect. Brothers and fathers, hear my defense I now offer you. And with that being said, let's, let's ask the Lord for help. Because it is not enough to just try to educate our minds. We need to understand why this is being written so that it may change our lives today. Gracious Heavenly Father, it's a new year. A lot has changed this year. A lot more will change in the future. But there is no shadow of shifting in you. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we rest in that. You are an everlasting, unchanging, all-knowing, just, loving, wrathful, perfect God. And we worship you this morning, not us. Father, may this be a year where we do not use your name to get what we want, but we use our lives to give you what pleases you. Father, help me to understand this text. Help me to remember my studies. Use my personality that you have given me to glorify yourself, not me. Father, we want to be like you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. As always, Lord, I confess my sins in front of this church. I confess that almost all of my sin is on purpose. I ask for your forgiveness. Father, I do not teach your word because I have earned it or I am worthy, but only because you are worthy. And so, Father, bless this time together. And it's in... Your precious name, we ask these things. Amen. And if you're ready to go through the Word of God this morning, say amen. Amen. Let's go through it. Last time we were together, Paul enters into Jerusalem, and there's James, the head elder of the Hebrew church. 
The same church in the Gentile world is the same church in the Hebrew world, only they're very, very culturally different. The church is divided over culture and discernible and in conviction issues, if you will. These two godly leaders represent two very different groups of people in the church. Do we ever have two different groups of people in the church? Can I get a witness to that? Do we ever have different groups? Talk to me. You ought to just try to get the right communion cracker, folks. (laughs) Let's move forward, all right? You want to hear a story? We don't have time. I want to tell you, but we don't have time. These two godly leaders are very different people in the church. So what do they do with their strong, cultural, discernible, and positional differences with people in the church? Well, Paul, who is mature in Christ, and James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, who is the head elder of the church in Jerusalem, they're both very mature in their faith. Here's what they do. They both set down their spiritual rights. They both set down their spiritual rights and their freedoms in Christ in order to maintain unity in the church and the gospel testimony in a community where they want to share Christ. My friends, church does not exist in order to maintain it the way we like it. Amen? It is to become more like Christ. Maybe you remember these two quotes from a few weeks ago. There will be times in the church when we are asked to join or step away from Irrelevant issues, neutral practices that are culturally driven, not because we have to, not because we're commanded to, but because it will prevent unnecessary tension that brings disunity in the church and harms the sharing of the gospel. Who would ever want to hear about the transforming power of Jesus Christ if a group of people who say they believe in Christ can't even love one another? What transforming power are we talking about? This principle is almost vanished in our current community and context. Especially here in the Grand Rapids, West Michigan area, there are so many churches in Grand Rapids that if we are asked to concede anything or any desire or any preference or any positional issue for the sake of unity, we simply move to the next church and get what we require, creating a city that is full of churches that know nothing of submission, nothing of sacrifice, and nothing of unity. I think we have forgotten that the role of the church is not to be a spiritual short-order cook It is to make saints more like Christ. Amen? That's the goal of the church. We're going to make a New Year commitment. If you are listening and you agree with something, I want this to be a reciprocal relationship. We are not here as short order cooks. We are here to become more like Christ. Amen? That's our New Year's resolution. We're going to say amen more. All right? We're the amen corny. You corny. You are corny. All right? You're now the hallelujah corner, all right? You're going to up your game, all right? Here we go. There it is. We are to be more like Christ. And by the way, the only way we can be more like Christ is submission, is sacrifice. Without submission and sacrifice. Why do you think so many different groups of people and different perspectives come into the church at one time so we can all demand conformity to one another? Or that we could conform into the image and person of Jesus Christ who willingly sacrificed. My friends, we cannot become like Christ if all we do is seek to attend a church where there is no sacrifice or submission required. I love what F.F. Bruce says. Maybe you remember this one. A truly freed heart is not in bondage to their own freedom. A truly freed heart is not in bondage to their own freedom. Let me say this another way. 
A freed believer will not become enslaved to their freedom and desires. James says, I won't demand that your Gentile believers follow the law. If you as a Jew will follow the law in order to maintain unity with believers who are not going to understand why you're not doing it, Paul. So Paul goes ahead and does it. Not only does he do it, but he pays for four other men to do it with him. And that's where we pick up in the text. There's so much here. Paul lays down some of his freedom for the sake of church unity. And he begins to follow the law of Moses, even though Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law in this respect. And yet Paul does it because he's in Jerusalem. In fact, we see in the text, he went into the temple giving notice of completion of the days of purification until he sacrificed and he offered it to each one of them. What I want you to grab here is Paul is in the temple actively following the law of Moses. He's actually doing it right there. Now I want you to hold on to that. What do they accuse him of doing? They accuse him of not following the law of Moses while he is following the law of Moses. We we see it right here. This man instructs everyone not to follow the law. How many here have ever said the words or ever felt like, I can't win for losing? Amen? Have you been there? I am conceding everything I can concede, and it's still not enough. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. By the way, all right, I want to make sure I get this. Mm, I'll touch on that in a minute. I want to talk to those who find themselves in spiritual leadership within the church for a moment. Just for a moment. Okay, whether it's, it's uh, uh, different ministries. Joel Beakey from Puritan Cemetery says this, those who must lead must be prepared to be kicked in the rear. If you're in front, you're going to get kicked. Can I get a witness on that? It's just baked into the cake, folks. It's what's going to happen. I want to talk to those who are in spiritual leadership and ministry, if you will, whether it's women's ministries, elders, deacons, deaconesses, Bible study leaders, teachers, being attacked is just part of the job. It's just, it's part of the cake that we are eating from. Additionally, there will always be those who it is in their best interest not to understand you. I've talked about this before, so I'm going to be brief here. Now, by the way, please remember, this is not the, not the, the pagan, uh, immoral world that is talking to Paul, or attacking Paul. Who is attacking Paul? Not ungodly, worldly people. They are what? Talk to me. It starts with an R and rhymes with religious. It's what? It's religious people. Highly religious people. They are, they are like Shiite religious people here, all right? By the way, those who find themselves highly religious are often those who are most critical. They're very critical to Paul, and they begin to attack him. And it is in their best interest not to understand Paul, because they need to promote their bias and their agenda to not understand. It advances their goal in to villainize you. Maybe you have these people in your life. Maybe in your, your extended family. Some of you are like, extended family, immediate family. I have. Maybe you have these things at work. Allow me to give you some humble advice. When you come across people who are perpetually concerned, dissatisfied, and critical, no matter how hard you try to explain yourself, no matter how hard you try, when it comes to answering such a person who does not want to understand Remember this, those who want to understand, no further explanation is needed. But to those who do not want to understand, grab this, no explanation will ever be sufficient. So don't kill yourself. 
Don't wear yourself out. The sooner you understand this and identify what is going on, the more you can move forward. State your case and move on with loving the people around you. Don't let those who don't want to understand, who it is in their interest to not understand you, distract you from living for God and and sharing and being a witness to Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't try to convince them of anything here but one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't get distracted. Now, this is interesting, all right? And there's a lot of hodgepodge of details here, and it's almost going to seem like they're unrelated, all right? Paul's critics are going to charge him with some things here, and this is going to seem like, okay, we're talking about those who don't want to understand you, and then we're talking about this, and they're going to seem unconnected, but I promise you that at the very end, they're all going to come together with a primary application that I believe is what Paul is try- or Luke is trying to communicate to us here. Now, notice... How those who have an agenda try to shut Paul down. Now, tell me if you see, tell me if you see anything familiar about how they try to shut down someone then and how our culture today tries to shut down people now and tell me if man is incapable of improving upon himself outside of God's word. All right, now grab this. The first thing they do to shut Paul down is they simply say, Paul is a racist. Men of Israel, they are against our people. He is normalizing bad behavior by not following the law that dictates our life. And he is promoting hate speech because he has defiled our holy place. Huh. My friends, these are the tactics of the intolerant. These are the tactics of the intolerant. They were then, and they, they are now. By the way, that ought to bring us a little bit of comfort, all right? This is not a new thing. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. He was immediately accused of being full of, full of racist, offensive hate speech. And because of this, now grab this, we're not even done yet. Because of this, it justified their violence towards him. How many are thankful that ideology is gone? And they began to stir up the crowd and they laid hands on him. In the future verse, they are, they are trying to kill him. Oh, King Solomon said it best in Ecclesiastes written several thousands years ago. He said this, there is nothing new under the sun. Truly, the heart of man does not change. 2,000 years ago when Paul spoke about Jesus to a world that hated and rejected Jesus, he was immediately accused of being full of racist, offensive hate speech. Now let me be clear, I'm going to move down here. Let me be clear, there are people who under the name of Christ are racist. There are people who under the name of Christ are hateful and they are offensive. And church, affirm this, if you believe this is true, we condemn such a heart, amen? There, there is no room for hate and racism in the true body of Jesus Christ. Because here it is, we don't have to agree with someone to value and love them. Amen? In fact, that's what true love is. Christ said, I tell you the truth. Don't just love those who love you. Love those who what? Love your what? Enemies. Because that's love. If all we do is get together and demand an echo chamber of of thought and everyone's got to affirm our positions, guess who we're loving? Anyone who are we loving? 
ourselves. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. God so loved the world while we were damned and dead. That's the heart that ought to be in us, that which is in Jesus Christ. There are those within the name of Christ. Our race is hateful and offensive, and we condemn such a heart. However, let us have the intellectual integrity of understanding that this is an old tactic to those who reject Christ to shut the gospel down. It doesn't have to be one or the other. We must not allow the world to determine what our words mean in order to control our behavior. We must not allow the world to determine what words mean in order to control our behavior in our witness. Paul does not allow the labels lobbed at him of being a racist, offensive hate speaker to edit the gospel and stop him. Now let me be clear. We should not be offensive in our behavior or our treatment of all people. But we should not strip the gospel of its truth in order to avoid offense. The gospel is offensive to those who don't believe because it says you're a sinner and you can't do anything and you need Christ children of God we exist and we are redeemed for many reasons but none more important than to proclaim in a truthful and loving way the gospel of Jesus Christ that every man and woman must repent of their sins they must believe in Jesus Christ and that repentance and that true faith will cause us to make him the the treasure of our lives and we follow him and not our own appetites have you done that have you done that Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and repented of your sins and made him Lord? The way you can tell is if he's not your Lord, (laughs) and that faith doesn't truly understand who he is, and then there is no repentance. You see, it just defines itself. I was sharing Christ with a man this week. We talked about sin, the need for forgiveness, God's God's desire for our lives and how only Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only light, the only door, the only road. And he said to me, don't you think that's kind of offensive? And I said, yes. That was my full explanation. And while they lay their hands on Paul, which by the way, let me be clear, to kill him, notice The people who are saying hate and offensive behavior and and all these things, they're actually the one trying to kill someone. Look at what Paul responds. Look how he responds. My friends, I want you to see here that in the middle of chaos, when it appears that Paul has no control, I want you to grab this here. God is in perfect control. Remember that when life gets out of hand, it is never out of God's hands. This is what I want you to see here. They were intent on killing him. Don't let that slip by. Paul is being surrounded likely by tens and tens and tens and if not hundreds of people. And they are punching him. They are kicking him. They are bruising him. They are cutting him. They are bleeding him in a mob of hundreds if not more. Those who say Paul is hateful in promoting the wrong behavior are the ones actually doing it. So, 
So bad is their behavior of Paul that the whole city is stirred up and people are coming in and hundreds of Roman soldiers had to pour into the outer courts of the temple to stop it. We see this in the words, some soldiers and, and some centurions ran down to the crowd. Now, this is interesting here. And there's a reason why I will tell you this. F.F. Bruce points out the fact that the word centurions is in the plural. That means there's likely at least two of them, which tells us that highly likely over 200 soldiers are involved, which according to the context, whole city, riot, all the men in the temple beating up one guy, and Rome does not tolerate chaos. Hundreds of soldiers pour into this place. For one centurion equals a hundred soldiers. And they stop the mob and they ask, who is this man and what has he done? Now the crowd, knowing their accusations, would not stick. Paul didn't bring a Gentile into the inner courts. He knows better than that. They know that it wouldn't stick and that they were lives. They decided to cloud the truth with too much information and details. They decide to cloud the truth. Some were shouting one thing and some were shouting the other. This is another tactic that I have deemed. This is my word that I've put on it, and you can use it or not. I call this wallowing the truth. How many here are beginning to guess what wallowing the truth means? In order to hide the truth, you don't have to make it disappear. In order to hide the truth, you don't even have to lie. Just make the truth hard to find. Make it confusing. It says right here, he could not find out the facts. He could not find out the facts. Tell me if you agree with this. As people, we don't do complicated well. Amen? How many here have ever asked a simple question and you're getting a very complicated answer and you decide you don't care anymore about the question? Anyone at all? You're just like, you know what? Never mind. I will figure it out myself. Even if I'm wrong, it's got to be easier than this conversation. I've never had that personally. You ever tune out when there's too much conflicting information? You're just like, and your eyes glass over, and you start just talking to yourself. Look them in the eyes, nod your head. Nod your head and look them in the eyes. You don't know where you are. You don't know what you're talking about. Exit this conversation at the most polite opportunity. I've never done that again. All right? Here's what we got here. This is called wallowing the truth. Attach as much nonsense or conflicting information as possible. Muddy the waters. And no one can ever get clear traction so that the truth might be in front of you and you don't even see it here. I want to, I want to give this out here. Imagine if Waldo here represents the truth. All right, there it is. It's pretty easy to see. He's saying Hi. I'm the truth. How many here have ever played Where's Waldo? No, let me try. How many here have never played Where's Waldo? Anyone at all? All right, good. You're probably looking at this and saying, this game isn't hard at all. He's right there. I'm pretty good at this. But the truth is, all right, one does not need to remove the truth. All one needs to do is this right here. Truth is up there. Have a good time. My friends, does the world do this? Does our adversary do this? Please remember, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against our adversary, Satan. My friends, when something is straightforward, 
And yet it seems overly confusing if simple definitions are being challenged or redefined. When someone says, it depends on what your definition of is, is, and that's not a political message. I don't mean that. It's just a wonderful example. We've all done it. What do you mean by, was I there? How do I break that down any further? Were you present? What do you mean by present? Okay, let's move forward. When this happens, warning, all right, you are being waddled. Generally speaking, if you are being given answers to questions you have not asked, flooded with details that are not associated with the topic, you are being waddled. It's highly likely that someone is hiding the truth on you. It's on purpose, so be alert and notice the tactic. Now, why do I bring this up? It's helpful in trying to understand and finding truth in our relationships, but I bring it up because it's also not only a tactic of those who want to control people, it's a tactic of our adversary, Satan, with the gospel. And it's happening right here. The gospel is simple and straightforward, is it not? The gospel is simple and straightforward. For God so loved you that he gave his only son to die on a cross so that those who believe shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But Satan, all right, the gospel is straightforward, yet look how confusing and and nonsense and complications Satan has attached to it. Satan doesn't need to erase the gospel. He can't. He can't. So he does the next best thing. He waddles it. He makes it complicated. We have ordained ministers in many different denominations who can't even agree on what the gospel is. This week I was visiting a man who was gravely ill and I was sharing the gospel with him. I was going through the plan of salvation and all of a sudden a worker came in and, and, and interrupted our conversation, which I understand that happens. They're doing their job. And she said to the man, she must have heard what we were talking about as we walked in. She said, don't worry about dying. You're going to go to heaven. That's where everyone goes when they die, including your dog. Oh. Maybe my dog, but not your dog. The only thing missing on this worker was, a, was, a, was horns and a tail and a pitchfork because that's what Satan looks like. I don't see him. She muddied the water. She waddled it. But just because the waters are muddied and his world is in utter chaos right now and Paul has no control over the circumstances. By the way, does your life ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're being torn apart? Like things are out of control? That they're overcomplicated. It doesn't mean that, that God is not in absolute control. What appears to be absolute chaos to Paul is a perfect tapestry of God. Look what happens here. Paul is brought to the stairs. I love this. He's beaten. He's bloody. He looks at the commander and he says, and, and I, I don't want you to see the pictures of pale Paul that were, that, that were artists hundreds of years ago. And he's just, well, I want you to see that. Let's hit backspace here for a minute. I don't want people to read that yet. There we go. I want you to see Paul with a, with a bloody eye and a, and a broken nose and a, a broken rib and his knee has been knocked out and they, they're, 
carrying them, are they not? And they bring him up on the stairs and stuff like that. And he's now been ripped out of the mob who's trying to kill him to merciful Rome. That's, that's sarcasm, all right? Rome will put you on a cross and light you up to, to illuminate their dinner parties, all right? Look at Paul's response here. May I say something to you? How, how, how would you respond in this situation? Though he has been beaten and he is labeled racist and offensive and hateful and he's broken physically, look, look at Paul's actions. He does nothing to undercut the gospel. Church, hear this. Church, hear this. He does nothing in his behavior to undercut the gospel. Have you ever responded to circumstances that you didn't like in a way that made the words that come out of your mouth mean nothing? We went through about two years of that. He does nothing to undercut with his response. He is respectful. He is humble. He is kind. He is loving. My friends, how do we resp- how we respond? Grab this. How we respond is the door to future ministry. Is the door to future ministry. Nothing Paul does affirms their accusations. By the way, everything the crowd is doing owns the accusations. Now, this took the commander off guard because what we don't see here, but is clear within the text, is Paul changes his language to Greek. And the and the commander says, "Oh, you speak Greek." Paul's a highly educated man. He speaks multiple languages. Of the languages he speaks, we know for certain Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. I barely know English. All right? You know that, all right? I had someone that said, hey, can I get your notes? Because I'd like to give them to my father who's not able to go to church at this time. And I, I want him to read your notes. And I said, he won't be able to. And I'm being serious. I write the way I think. Good luck with that. And I can't spell and I don't know grammar. That's not Paul. Paul's got his degree from Harvard, Yale, Oxford, and Cambridge. And, and, he's, and he stopped because he's bored with them. Paul chose to spoke Greek to a Roman commander because it's the language of, of cultured, educated people. It is not the language of a common criminal. That's why he said, wait a minute, you're not the Egyptian that stirred up the revolt and led thousands of men and assassins in the wilderness? You're, you're, you're not a common criminal? You're speaking educated Greek. Now, I could unpack the backstory of this Egyptian for an hour. So all those in favor of tacking in an hour, say amen. You're such a, the rest of you are going, shut it down. <laughs> but we believe in leadership by the minority, so one hour it is. But long story short, the commander thought that Paul was someone else. How's that? I'm done. He thought he was someone else. Paul gets his attention by speaking in a cultured, educated way. Now, this is very interesting. Don't let this slip by. We're almost done. I got a page full of notes. We're almost done. Okay, so follow me here. Then Paul corrects the record, and, and he goes really detailed here. I am a Jew from Tarsus of Sicily. Cilicia. Am I saying that right? Yeah. So what? Cilicia. Now, there are a couple of reasons why Paul said this. The first one, he says, I am a Jew. 
Notice a Jew in the temple following the law is being accused of racism by Jews in the temple following the law. That seems interesting. Nearly impossible. As a Jew, he had every right to be in that temple. He had every right to be in the inner courts. He had every right to be, to be doing these things. But it goes further than that. He says, I'm from Tarsus. In this culture, the value of people was often judged by the importance of the place where they were born and raised. Now, we don't, we don't have an honor-shame culture as much in America as, as other countries do. But if I said I was born in, in northeast Grand Rapids, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I heard it. Say it. Money. (laughs) Paul's from Tarsus. Now, in this culture, that means a great deal. In fact, it's a credential. You based your value on someone based where they were raised and where they're from, i.e., Jesus was from Nazareth. Nazareth was contemptible town when 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 they found out that jesus was was from was nathaniel said jesus is from nazareth what good could possibly come from that dump it wasn't an individually based evaluation it was on where you were from tarsus was a prominent political economic powerhouse it was an intellectual leader in this ancient culture so when Paul says, I am a, in fact, that's why we see Paul's words here. He goes even further because that's the context, all right? They value people by the importance of the place they were raised. This is a very important place. Paul says, I'm a Jew. I belong here. I'm from Tarshish of Sicily, all right? Not just Northeast Grand Rapids, but on Reed Lake. Not that that bothers me. A, but Paul says, and by the way, a citizen of no insignificant city. Why is Paul giving these details? Because details matter. They matter now, and they matter then. These credentials, along with speaking Greek, impressed the commander enough to grant him his request. And he goes, well, what do you want to say? And he says, I beg you, allow me to speak to these people. Oh, these people are going to get it, aren't they? How many here, if you had an opportunity to address the people who are just beating you and trying to kill you with the power of Rome surrounding you, are going to give them their comings? Amen? Because that's what American patriotism religion does, right? We stand for our rights. Watch what Paul does. By the way, Christians, submit. Grab this. So the question rises. Why does Paul pull out his credentials? Why does he speak Greek? Why does he give his city? Why does he give his place of birth? And and say, uh, make sure they know the significant background, clear to the commander. Oh, my friends, look at this. Is it to demand his rights? Is it to give the crowd a lecture of, don't step on me? No. Paul does not flash his intellect and his credentials to get out of custody and demand his rights. He uses them to gain another opportunity to share the gospel with those who just tried to kill him. He does it to share the gospel again to those who tried to kill him. Don't let this detail pass by. Luke must have been smiling when he wrote these details in the book of Acts. Look at these next words. Now grab this. Paul is now standing on the stairs, motioning to the people with his hands. There it is in the purple. Can you see Paul? Now, he's kind of, you know, he's, 
I know he's, everybody over here, you know, we always picture him like, everybody. No, he's a broken man. He's in pain. And now he's, he's waving his hands at the people. Grab this here. Man, how many here would agree with this? Things change fast, amen? Watch how fast they change here. It's almost, uh, dare I say it, that God is in control. When it feels like there is none. In just a few moments, Paul has gone from being a passive body seized by two different groups, almost torn apart and killed by the first group, and about to be punished by the next group, and yet now Paul is directing traffic on the stairs to both people. He's in control. And he is guiding everyone's attention with his hands. And he is beaten. Don't let that get away from you. So much so that the crowds fall into a great hush, a great silence. Now, why would the Jews who just wanted to kill him and were wallowing the truth, do they now want to understand Paul? Do they now go, you know what? I've decided that Paul is super cool. In, 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 in four minutes, Paul is super cool, and I want to understand him better. No, that's not happening, because those who don't want to understand, no explanation will ever suffice. Are they ready to admit they were wrong? No. They fell silent. Now grab this, because Paul is surrounded by the power of Rome. Oh, the sovereignty of God. He is going to give the gospel to the nation of Israel with the most powerful occupying force in the world protecting it. Does not our God move rulers in the palm of his hand like water as he chooses? Amen? By the way, they're going to reject the gospel and the temple is never going to be brought up again. This is an example of, of, of Israel's final rejection of the gospel in the book of Acts and we'll never hear about this place again. Be careful how long you reject the gospel. The power of Rome is around him. Over 200 soldiers armed with weapons and full authority stand around Paul. My friends, our God is in complete control even when it seems like we have none. And this is true of your life and my life as well. And look at what Paul does. He transitions from Greek and now he, that, that impressed the Roman commander and he goes to a Hebrew dialect, likely Aramaic. And then he looks at those who tries to kill him and effectually draws them in and says to those who tried to beat him to death, my brothers and fathers, I would have two very different names to address them at this time. (laughs) But Paul's life is not his own. And neither is yours. Neither is mine. My friends, what I want you to see here And I don't want to muddy the waters with many words, so here it is. We often see the world's attacks as a means to keep us from ministry, but the truth is, that's simply impossible. The world can't keep you from ministry. The world can't take away what's inside of you and your great commission. That's impossible. For ministry is not in what we do and and how we want to do it and where. Ministry is simply where we stand. Regardless of the circumstances. So here's the summary. We're going to wrap it up. Here's the details. Here's the context for the final application. 
Paul started his ministry by going to the temple to follow the law to keep unity in the church. He was accused and beaten by Jews and grabbed by the Romans to be punished. And soon he'll be thrown into jail. Where And Paul, by the way, did not see any of this as a loss of ministry. He simply saw it as his next ministry. My friends, I invite you to hear this today for we are done. We are not called in order to preserve ministry the way we want it. We are not called to preserve ministry the way we want it. Rather, ministry is to give witness to Jesus Christ where we stand. Amen? You're going to go into a new year, whether you like it or not. And there are going to be times when you are on a mountaintop and you are a valley. And I want to tell you, when it comes to our witness to who Christ is, it doesn't matter. It just matters that we tell people about him where we're at. Oh, and by the way, how we respond to those unwanted and changes circumstance has a direct effect on how effective our testimony will be. Paul's reaction enhanced the gospel's credibility. His patient, gracious response was part of his ministry to those who did not know the gospel. While this is true of any time in our lives, my friends, did we not have this For the last couple years, we were asked to do things a bit differently from those around us. Whether it was the elders or our civic authorities or our bosses. How did the church respond? How did you respond? How did I respond? Were we gracious? Were we loving? Were we humble? Did we show respect? Did we live out the gospel in a way that enhances its credibility? Or are we defiant and rigid and demanding and selfishly belligerent? Do you think our witness for Christ was enhanced or hurt by the way we responded to unwanted circumstances? My friends, our God is in complete control of all things. Therefore, whether good or bad. This almost sounds like a verse. Whether good or bad, our ministry is where we stand, not where we want to be. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that it has so much application for us today. Father, may it not die in our heads but may it renew our minds and change our hearts and the way we live. Father, as we come before this table, a table that is for your followers, for the sole purpose of unifying the church around what we all share in common, your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, may this, may this table's effect have what you intended. That we would be reminded that all the differences we may have collectively should evaporate from the heat of the one truth that is your body and your blood 
given to us so that we might be saved from our sins. Church, I want to talk to you if you have any sin that is unconfessed. Take this moment to confess it now. Wash your feet. Thank the Lord that you've already been washed in his blood. You don't need a bath. You just need some reconciliation. Your salvation is secure. But fellowship with him should be pure. If there's disunity in this room with another believer, don't take this cup. Unless, of course, you purpose in your heart that immediately afterwards you're going to make that right, even if you have to die a death, a death on a cross for that person. Let that mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. Life's too short. His gospel's too precious. The price was too high for the church of Jesus Christ to be a short-order cook. <laughs>